Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswath, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter, and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fringe Legal. I'm excited today to have Jim Cheng, who's the CEO of My Legal Einstein on the show. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Ab. Many people may not yet have heard of My Legal Einstein. You guys um, just launched earlier this year, I believe, in 2021. So maybe that's a good place to start. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your story. I know you came from Atlas and you've spoken about that previously. What's your journey to My Legal Einstein and what does My Legal Einstein do? Sure. Maybe it makes sense to start with my background. So my background is not in the legal space. I'm actually an AI person. So my background is actually a lot of times mathematics, coding, a lot of development work and, and such. I started my c- career in AI in the video space. I did a lot of work in terms of video streaming. I started looking around at interesting problems that actually have real human impact from the AI perspective. I actually started with AI for video, and then I moved to AI for images, and then sound. And then the last one was text. And what gravitated me to legal contracts is 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 an incredibly fascinating problem from an AI perspective, where you have effectively large contracts that are sometimes 100 pages long, they're sent between different entities, and people actually are are constantly commenting it and contains a huge richness of information there. So I actually moved into the AI for legal space from just purely based on the AI side. Since that time, I actually ended up managing the AI efforts for both two large CLM companies, iCertus, and then at Aptus as well. So the reason why I actually started my legal Einstein is to make AI as accessible as possible to people who are doing this work on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, I, companies like Asuris as well as Aptos kind of they can tend to cater toward the larger corporate enterprise companies. Whereas I'm trying to use my legal Einstein to actually introduce legal AI to anyone. So you can actually get to a time to value in minutes. So the problem that my legal Einstein actually addresses is the review of third-party contracts. And that's actually where AI, NLP, and all of the all of deep learning text-based technologies shines in terms of how it's able to determine insights from all this unstructured third-party contracts. There's a couple of points there I think we can definitely dig into. We'll, we'll come back to the time to value. And that's a really important point. And for those that may not be familiar with NLP, natural language processing, go back and listen to an episode with Matthew Golab where we talk about and go into the AI development process. Jim, from your point of view, there's a lot of NLP-driven pre-execution contract review, CLM-type tools out there. And that seems to be certainly a space that's seeing a boom. There's 
a new provider that's around uh, or gaining prominence every other month. What sets you apart? Is it the fact that you're focusing on these third-party contracts that you're bringing it to the masses? Is it more around making things really simple or something else? And as a, I guess as your, well, if I don't know anything about your company and I'm Googling my legal Einstein and other CLM providers show up, how do I differentiate? Yeah, so, that, so that's a great question. Uh, let, let me just talk a little bit about some of the misinformation associated with artificial intelligence, right? Sure. Part of it, I think especially like two or three years ago, the media started talking a lot about AI in very sensationalist ways, right? So a lot of times the media has actually amplified the fear factor aspects. And I think if you'd actually talk to a number of attorneys, they'd say, is legal AI going to come back and take our jobs per right. se? And one of the things that's a substantial differentiator from my legal Einstein is that our aim is not to actually make a better attorney. You see a lot of technologies in the AI side that kind of mimic human behavior. And in, in effect, they actually try to make recommendations as if they're actually the better attorney, for example. So there's a number of technologies out there in the pre-execution space where you feed information into some type of predicted aspect, and then it makes some recommendations for you. So it might make five recommendations, for example. From the standpoint of actually getting value from a system like that, one of the things we actually realize is that if you actually give five recommendations, a lot of times from an AI perspective, as well as from a statistical standpoint, one of them actually might not be correct. Okay, And as the attorney who's actually reviewing those five recommendations, you have to have to go spend the time to go figure out which one of those five things are actually not correct and check the other four that are correct. And then what actually happens to all the other 10 things that the AI may have missed, which is basically the issue. So the question is, you know, how can we actually frame AI to not be a better attorney and as opposed to that, to actually be able to address a lot of the mundane things that many attorneys do when they're actually looking at third party paper anyway. So as an example, uh, a lot of things are boilerplate language. Okay? You spend a lot of time reading things that are repetitive, whereas you just effectively don't want to see that as much. You've seen it, you've reviewed it previously, and the AI can actually determine that you've actually reviewed this thing and previously and it basically just gray it out, for example. Or you could actually have instances where you have embedded text in the contract and you actually want to be able to discern that and to be able to find that mm -hmm. because it's, a lot of times it's hidden in the contract. So my legal Einstein really kind of differentiates a lot of times from the pre-execution space because we're not really trying to be a better attorney or we're not trying to tell the attorney what to do, but we're actually trying to augment the attorney's intelligence in terms of being able to address a lot of the intelligence aspects of the mundane aspects. So what I'm hearing, and I think augmentation there is absolutely the key word, right? So this is something that's augmenting, as you said, the workflow versus a displacement or a disruptive piece. And the second point, uh, when you talk around, you're picking up maybe, or well, you're picking up five things, but only four of them might be correct. That's a point around accuracy and I guess how broad it might be. And I know looking at your tool, one of the things that stood out to me was this sensitivity dial, which is not a physical dial, obviously, but you can adjust the sensitivity so you can, you can decide how far deep you want to go into your agreements versus seeing things at a high level. And at least to me, that seems like it's a question of trust. You're building that. The system is picking up all the relevant informations and you're being surfaced with something that you are deeming, or I suppose the software is deeming or the platform is deeming to be relevant to you at that time, but you can then look at everything else as well, should you choose to. Is that fair? 
I think that's quite fair. I, I think that's actually a very good interpretation. We allow the attorneys to be able to navigate contracts based on topics and be able to deep dive on topics. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a very useful thing when you actually have many, many red line conversations where you basically bury language in different parts of the contract. Mm -hmm. And the attorney is always wondering about whether they missed something. And we provide a tool to allow them to help double check their work so that they can figure out if there is some financial sentence buried in the contract that it, you would not have found if you actually just did a text search. Right. And then the other thing which I hear as I speak to others in the industry around AI tools, and I'm using that term pretty broadly, one of the, I guess, the accepted points tend to be in order for a lot of the AI-driven tools, whether it's machine learning or NLP-based, there, there needs to be X amount of training given. So when someone sees a demo, things look pretty good. But in order to get those results, when you feed in a document that's of a different corpus or type or language or whatever it might be, and language I get is completely an exception to the rule, unless you've given enough of a sample size to the baseline model, then you're not going to get the same level of results. Whereas one of the things that certainly my legal Einstein promotes is that you're able to start getting value from within five minutes, which is amazing because one of the key things for any technology is how quickly will you start getting value from it after you have access to it or have it implemented if it's one of those types of technologies. Uh, and five minutes certainly seems like a bold claim. So yeah, talk a little bit about why that's important and how you achieve that. Let's talk a little bit about time to value. So I think the perception in the marketplace is that legal AI is a very hard thing to do. So I think I've heard of many proof concepts right. there where you basically throw a couple of AI engineers together with a few lawyers and maybe after a year or so, you might have a proof of concept of something that has a rough way to predict some outcome, some type of clause that actually might be risky or something along those lines. And after a year, you may or may not have a successful POC with potentially hundreds of thousands invested in it. So when you think about the time to value of that, to actually have that much of a limiting factor in terms of getting to some point of value, you kind of understand why legal AI hasn't really gained a huge amount of adoption. So my legal Einstein really is intended to have uh, a user never actually have heard of my legal Einstein. They actually go onto the site, they register, they log in, and then they can actually try our algorithms against any of their contracts that they actually see. And our proof of value is very instantaneous in the sense that as soon as they actually find ways to navigate their own contracts, to try it on their own contracts and be able to gain value from it, to find things that they actually might have missed, it becomes a very much an instantaneous type of value proposition. And when you're talking about time to value for AI solutions, you really want to make sure that they get to the aha moment where they say, oh, I missed something. And that light bulb goes on. And that basically means that the AI has helped them to find something that they have missed before. And that's a huge moment for us. The other aspect is basically in general, in terms of artificial intelligence, it actually is a very complicated topic. Okay. It's actually less engineering and less coding as it is a lot about mathematics and probability. That said, when you actually go and use like more consumer friendly devices, like the Alexa, the series of the world, one of the ways you actually measure how well AI works is that it's actually able to actually understand your voice even though they might have not heard you before. And the same is exact case with legal AI, because if our algorithms are smart enough, it's actually able to determine and pick out things on contracts it's never seen before. 
And I think that is the best test of how well AI generalizes to different spaces. And from the standpoint of AI, it's actually the thing that actually makes AI useful. How does it function, and or rather, how well does it function on the types of contracts? Actually, let, let me go back one step. What kinds of contracts is My Legal Einstein designed for? Is it anything well, and everything or something specific? It's anything and everything. We actually trained our algorithms on the 30 different legal topics that are most commonly sought after across all types of contracts. So whether it's actually a lease agreement, real estate purchase agreement, purchase agreements, sales con right. contracts, service agreements, all of those tend to have things like liability, termination, indemnification, yeah. intro, all, all these types of standard contract clauses across multiple contracts. So. By using our algorithms, you're actually able to map very intelligently for each paragraph, not only the primary topics, but also the secondary topics. Right. So you can actually navigate it. So you actually got deep dive on these specific topics. Now that said, the one contract that we don't do very well is basically like these concept of NDAs, right? right? Where you send an NDA contract, effectively it labels everything as a confidentiality clause because there's really not a whole lot of variety in terms of NDA contracts. Yep. But with the exception of that, anything that actually has multiple topics in a contract is uh, something that my legal Einstein does pretty well in. Okay. And how does it then function? Because, so let, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say you are looking at 20 different topics that you've built into the algorithm. Is it capable or does that improve over time? So over time, it will start recognizing different types of topics or even subtopics within that. So is it... And I know it's NLP based. So are you updating the algorithm so it becomes more refined by as you get more feedback from the market? Well, one overriding consideration is that we're so security conscious that it's like we're over the top. And that's basically the expectation by all our user base. And part of it is that if you actually look at any corporate assets, your legal contracts are probably one of the highest sensitivity in terms of, uh, in terms of assets. So we do not share, and we purposely do not share any of this information between customers or anything like this. So right. we're not gaining any intelligence specific to a customer that was that's actually then shared to other customers. That said, one of the things that we have built in is that this concept of document types. Mm -hmm. So as a user, you can actually create your own document types. And then as you create more instances of those document types, you're then providing feedback that's specific to that document type that you created. When you do that, the AI algorithms actually are able to learn different examples of those document types and then retrain models to actually optimize based on those document types. Part of the, part of the design aspect is that how do we actually achieve high time to value across all customers? So we actually have base models that allow to do that. Mm -hmm. But then as they use the system, how do we actually make it smarter and smarter based on their input? And that's actually the mechanism that we do that. Makes sense. And I'm glad you touched on the security point because that was going to be one of my questions. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> yes. it is for everyone. Yes. So that's really helpful. And then you touched on something, but you're not focusing on the creation of the document, right? This is purely a review tool or? So the creation of the documents is actually more of a CLM problem. Your CLM vendors, I think they do a lot of in terms of uh, document automation, asking some questions, building templates for, for different types of contracts. And I think that's actually a very, very, obviously a very substantial business for Isertas, for Aptus, for Conga, for all the other companies actually in the space. But when you think about contract risk, okay, and when you think about compliance issues, when you're actually able to originate the contract, typically you minimize the risk by basically being able to originate this contract. And so most of your contract risk, and everybody understands this, is actually in the third party paper that 
you might have actually had some review cycles on that might actually have some buried language there. And you want to be able to determine that right out of the gates, right? So that you actually negotiate the next contract with the best language possible. So as part of the value proposition of my legal Einstein, we recognize that the best way to evaluate third-party contracts is to look at it side by side with your own paper, okay? And also with your own playbooks and your clause libraries and things along those lines. So we have these side-by-side uh, panels so you can actually compare language based on what you as an organization considers the best practice. Right. And that's when you think about how attorneys think about things, they typically do not create new language. They basically just reuse different language in the right instances. And we make that as, as easy as possible. Yep. Okay. And just looking through your website earlier and prepping for this and for this conversation, it seems that your certainly your primary audience are in-house teams and other business stakeholders. Is that fair? Or do you have a lot of law firms that are utilizing the, the technology as well? I think our, our primary base is actually in-house legal, but at yeah. the same time, there's many law firms that actually have built a practice around a specialty related to contract negotiations. For example, small business purchase agreements or things like looking at IP aspects or IP contracts and, and things along those lines. So the smaller law firms that actually have already built up a knowledge base of different methods, different contracts, can basically just become users of our system and be be able to import all their knowledge base and be able to compare them right off the bat. In-house attorneys, it's a kind of an obvious thing where they actually have to, once they actually get the contract in, they need to be able to break it out by topics just at least to share with other groups, like finance groups. They don't want to be in a position where they're signing off on something that finance team hasn't actually had a chance to review. Yeah. So as part of that, we break out things up in terms of topics and we can actually automatically set up alerts so that we can actually send all the finance terms to the finance team, which is like the most obvious ways that we can actually use uh, topic-based syncing of, of contracts. So it's the, we, as we said before, it's not that we are recommending the next steps. Mm-hmm but we're actually able to enable the attorney to focus less on the work that's repetitive, kind of mundane in nature, where they're actually acting as the project manager between different types of groups, cutting and pasting things between different emails, those types of things, and have them focus on the more high value work. Got it. Yep, no, that all makes sense. And just being conscious of time. So I, I guess you launched about three months ago at the beginning of 2021. What's next? What does the next three, six, nine months look like? For you? Well, we have some big announcements coming up in the th- next three months. We're going to be announcing some partnerships. Mm-hmm. We're going to be announcing some language support aspects that are really quite compelling, right? Because I'll, I'll give you a quick hint of it. It's a global world, right? Right now, the many contracts are actually drafted in English, even when you're talking about multiple nationals and, and things along those lines. But it's really not acceptable to, to assume everybody's actually using this English contract. So we're obviously going to expand a lot of language support, as well as a lot of the comparisons between different languages associated with things. So we're going to be making some announcements there, as well as some adoption aspects from some of our larger customers. Amazing. I look forward to all of those. And if people want to find out more about My Legal Einstein or connect with you, where's the best place to direct them to? Just check out the website. I'm always uh, reachable through the website as well as through LinkedIn or in, in other aspects. Yeah, always feel free. I, I actually encourage you to actually learn about My Legal Einstein by just trying it on your own contracts. You can actually just register, try the contracts that's actually provided there, or basically try something that you might have searched for online to see how well it works. Yeah. And I think that's the best testament to how well the AI actually works. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim. Wonderful having you on the show. Thanks again. Thank you very much for your time, Bye now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show, and Priti Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. 